Welcome back to Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. We're very glad that you continue to support this podcast. You can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played, as well as getting the video content on YouTube. But if you want to just get one place to find all the content, go to my website at drgarrickbsportsdoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. So welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, and we have another very interesting guest for you today. Uh, my namesake, Dr. Derek Robinson. He is an author. He is a physician, an ER physician. He is the vice president and uh, chief medical officer of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, not Mississippi. Um, he is an associate professor at the University of Illinois. He is my personal mentor and friend. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Doc, it's a pleasure to be with you today. It's a pleasure, man. So I got to be, before we even get started, I have to say thank you um, because I feel that the trajectory of my life and the course of my medical career has largely been impacted due to, you know, not only your service, not only the trail that you blazed ahead of me, but also the hand that you reached back uh, when it was my time. So just a little bit of the backstory. Uh, we're both graduates of Xavier University of Louisiana, uh, both graduates of Howard University College of Medicine. And I believe you were three or four years ahead of me. Uh, but when it was my time to graduate from Xavier and interview at Howard, you were the student government president. Um, you were president of your class. And I remember coming up for my interview. Um, you met me. You took me around. You showed me around. And I know the impact that that had, you know, on my career. So I just want to say thank you uh, before we even get started with this interview. Dr. Burgess, you're more than welcome. I do remember that. And, um, you know, it was just the, the natural thing to do. You know, that's what we did. We reached back to folks that are coming up behind us, be sure they know the lay of the land and, and get a nice, warm welcome. And certainly that's what I wanted uh, for you to have at that time. And more importantly, uh, or just as important, individuals did it for me. And I think that's part of the conversation that, that we'll have today. You know, I've got my my own story in terms of how folks that were before me made sure that I had a smooth path and journey to medical school, you know, so that I could settle in because it's, it's hard enough. Right. And so Absolutely. you know, we want to ensure that we, you know, help people be successful. And so you've certainly done a remarkable job. You know, you're an orthopedic surgeon, not a lot of folks that look like you in the field, you know, so right. I'm sure you know, you go to conference after conference and look around, you go to the hospital, you go in the OR. It's a walk. And we yeah. appreciate the service that you provide to uh, to the communities there in Mississippi is, is definitely needed. We definitely want to see your continued success because it's as you're doing, even with this podcast, you know, you're not only changed the lives of others through the work that you do with your gifted hands, but you also do it through the way that you reach out to young people in the community and serve as a, a living model of what they can become. Uh, so thank you for your service. No, thank you. And, you know, I feel like the training that we received, especially under J.W. Carmichael, right, at Xavier, it was competitive, but we were competing to improve each other. It was never cutthroat. Like, I'm, I have to, you know, get this information and keep it from my fellow man. It was always coming together in those study groups and coming together in the modules, you know, to be able to work together, meeting at the library, studying all night for these tests. 
And I felt like through those experiences, it, it built a community. And then once you, once you leave that place, when you see somebody else and you can identify with the struggle and know what they went through, you want to always help them out. So I think that's just really the spirit of Xavier, the spirit of um, HBCUs overall. It is. And that, that legacy of uh, collaboration, uh, I think, continues under you know, the current pre-med director, uh, Cabardis, down mm-hmm. at Xavier. And uh, I think for many of us, it, it took leaving Xavier and going to other environments and interacting mm-hmm. with students who went to college at different institutions to understand how significantly different the environments were. And like you, I, I reflect back on that experience with a lot of positivity. And even going through the medical school process, you recognize that you have friends all over the country and every area code, it seemed like, right. from Xavier that are having their experience at different, different institutions. And you could reach out to them and talk and be supportive even from that perspective. So very powerful experience. And I know we want to see more individuals have access to that kind of educational opportunity. Absolutely. Now, one thing when I think about your career, the word leadership, I mean, from the fraternity all the way through, as I mentioned, being the president in medical school and then continuing to be a leader in your community and in the medical field. So what is leadership and what does that mean to you, number one? And what along the way shaped you into become a leader? Yeah, great question. I think leadership is at its core service. It's putting the interests of others uh, before yourself. It's being prepared. It's being uh, empathetic. It's uh, having a vision uh, for the future. And it is building a level of trust with other individuals such that they will follow you forward, even when the path ahead has some uncertainty uh, embedded in it. And I will say that there are a lot of things I think that have contributed to my journey and the opportunities that I've had uh, to be engaged uh, in leadership. And that's from, you know, family upbringing, faith, the time that I spent in church. You mentioned the fraternity, you know, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated provided a great training ground for me as a as an undergraduate. And I think many of our other Divine Nine organizations provide that similar opportunity for young people to see professionals who are further ahead in their career, operating at a level that is appropriately advanced, but also sets the model for what they should should aspire to become. And one of the things that I learned along the, the path is that it's often that you're called to leadership versus, you know, you want to be leader of this and you want to be leader right. leader of that. And I sort of adopted that approach of being called to, to leadership. I think it helps you remain humble. Certainly, you know, you need to have some energy and fire and ability and a willingness to be a good leader and to go forward. But you also want to ensure that that experience is less about you and more about what you've been called to do uh, and how you can be of service to others and achieve the objectives uh, and the outcomes that are set forth. So, you know, your path through medicine is improbable MD, so we're going to hear about the path to medicine, I'm sure. But, you know, as an ER physician, you still are an ER physician and still practicing. However, you've devoted a large part of your career to being an advocate for not only minorities, but an advocate for your patient on the insurance side, which is kind of foreign, you know, almost a foreign land for most physicians. So kind of mm-hmm. talk about that experience. Yeah, so I, let me start by saying I immensely 
cherished a privilege of being a physician and caring for patients. It's a, a responsibility and opportunity like none other. One of the things that I learned through my experience serving as um, president of student council in, in medical school and some subsequent uh, opportunities was that there was a different set of skills that would be necessary in order to be able to affect change at scale. And so, you know, to, to make that concrete, I sat on the accreditation committee, the LCME accreditation committee for Howard's uh, Medical School. And around that board, you know, that table you had, you know, leadership from the medical school, the dean's office, leadership from the university, from the faculty practice plan, from the hospital. And I noticed that, you know, folks were speaking different languages and had different perspectives. Uh, and that planted a seed to me that, hey, you know, I may need some additional training and education to help me be a leader in spaces like this. This is different than what we get uh, in medical school. And so I, as I was finishing medical school, decided that, hey, I think I want to do an MBA program once I, once I finish residency. So that was part of the journey that I had. But also during my residency training in emergency medicine, you got a chance to take care of patients from all walks of life, minor injuries, life-threatening uh, medical concerns, things that you see that never hit the news, but are very prevalent and pervasive that we see all the time. And one of the things that I realized in that, with that experience was that there were some things that were beyond the reach of the hands of medicine uh, and healthcare that needed to be addressed. And those things would require work in the space of advocacy and policy and the like. And so, I had the privilege of getting involved in organized emergency medicine, making a lot of trips to Capitol Hill, understanding how to interface with legislative staff and legislators and doing that at the state level as well. And it really sparked an interest and helped me build some skills and experience uh, in that space. And so it's a combination of that and then the subsequent business school training and some other things along the way that really prepared me to not only be an effective leader at the bedside, an effective clinician at the bedside, but also to see how you take those experiences and use them as catalysts to make changes at a system level that will allow you to impact the lives of maybe initially hundreds, thousands, and then millions of individuals. And so, right. you know, over the course of my career, having worked as a regulator for a period of time, scale of impact, you know, having worked with the hospital association in the state impact at scale and then working for you know very large health insurance company similar opportunities and so i've seen that as part of the calling part of the mission to be engaged in both of those spaces simultaneously yeah now how prominent are physicians in that space with large insurance companies i think you know physicians are definitely present in insurance companies there's certainly a role there with some of the uh, care management and utilization uh, management functions that they have. Probably less rare as you move up within those organizations, having physicians uh, engaged in leadership. I think we've seen that evolve some over time. We've also seen that happen within hospitals and health systems, where in, in, right. in some instances we see more physicians uh, engaged in leadership there. And then even as we look at it on the legislative legislative side, we see more physicians getting in, involved in politics, you know, for example. I think physicians are kind of catching on that there are some, some ways that they can contribute uniquely outside of just direct clinical care. Uh, and that's right. not to diminish direct clinical care. Either, right. It's essentially important. And we, we certainly need to have individuals providing great care to our patients. But I think the importance of having physicians in the decision-making process, because we know that 
physicians and business people sometimes don't really see eye to eye on and especially don't really understand the daily issues that you go through as a practitioner or in the emergency room or in the operating room. So to have a physician voice to help as far as a leadership role, I think that's key and very, you know, especially to impact change in the medical field. I agree. I agree. Now tell us about, you know, as I go through your resume, you see diversity and health equity. Why is that so important to you? Well, I will say that my life experience taught me a lot growing up. There were disparities that I saw in many of the different social determinants of health and inequities that I saw that I, I didn't have the vocabulary to describe as I was growing up, looking at my own family and looking at my own community. But the contrast and the lessons and the longitudinal, multi-generational impact have carried with me along the way. And those experiences coupled with the humbling experience of becoming a physician and providing care for patients. And as you know, asking patients at times to launch valiant, extraordinary efforts to heal from illnesses or injuries, really bringing it all together kind of makes makes really real the challenges that we see with ensuring that everyone has an opportunity, a fair opportunity to be uh, as healthy as possible and what the drivers are that impact uh, some of the disadvantages that communities face. And so having seen things from that perspective, you know, the personal experience, seeing it through a healthcare lens, but then also understanding those very important other levers around government and policy, to me, just kind of, you know, being engaged in health equity just makes a lot of sense because we're familiar with the social determinants of health, but the social determinants of health are impacted by the political determinants of health, which are heavily involved with, you know, voting, government, and policy. And so to affect that change, you need to kind of understand how those things interface together. And when you're in a position where you can make a difference, you want to be prepared to make that difference to do the right thing that's going to help improve uh, health outcomes. Yeah, and, you know, especially now as we move into the post-pandemic era, you know, post-COVID era, I think some of the health disparities that we knew existed are more prevalent or more prominent now. So how would you speak to like a practicing physician now about what active role we can play on a day-to-day basis to help with the health disparities that we see? Sure. So as you noted, we've had endemic, long-standing disparities in the prevalence of chronic conditions especially in the black and brown communities and Native American communities, whether it's diabetes, obesity, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, renal disease, you can go on and on and on. And the pandemic demonstrated to us how fragile the state of health of our community community was. And so I think now it's really important for uh, practicing physicians and other practicing healthcare providers to ensure that as we look at the quality and safety of care that we're delivering, that we look at different patient sociodemographics to ensure that we are both delivering care in a way that's gonna ensure that outcomes are equitable. And that also we look at the health status of our patients and break them down by those demographics as well. Because we have to ensure that we are measuring the things that we wanna improve. And I think we have to also be humble enough to appreciate that our system of care does not deliver services to patients 
in a uniformly fair fashion. And then also there are some challenges that bump up right against the healthcare delivery system that create some unfair barriers to patients. And so we also have to think about how do we meet those patients where they are to ensure that their needs are met. And then also just appreciate that we're not infallible. We are humans. And so we bring to our workplace, our lived experiences, and those can come with positive and negative biases that can impact the health of our patients and the care that we deliver. And so we want to be able to have the safeguards in place that are necessary to, to kind of check those and test our mission and what it is that we strive to do against what those outcomes are and then be able to close a gap if a gap exists. But if we approach it from the assumption that there is no gap and that we do the best for everyone, uh, then we don't provide ourselves with an opportunity to ensure that the work that we're doing collectively as a healthcare team is advancing equity for the patients in the communities that we serve. If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. Right. And I think that acknowledging that there is a gap is one of the keys that we seem to still struggle with. And if you don't acknowledge it, then how do you address it? You know. Yeah. And, not, and honestly, the truth is we shouldn't struggle with acknowledging that there is a gap that is well established. Yeah. You know, it's, it's no longer an issue that we need to study. It's an issue of how do we effectively mitigate and close that gap. And that's something that we have to do with mutual understanding and and humility. This is not about vilifying any individual or group of individuals, but it is ensuring that we acknowledge the state of healthcare and the state of our society. And I I think the reality is that our healthcare delivery system is not that different than our society, which is not that different than what we see in law enforcement or in banking and lending or all these different sectors. They're comprised of the fabric of our communities and the fabric of our nation. And so we want to be sure that we don't put blinders on and assume that just because we are, you know, physicians and we put on white coats and walk into a healthcare setting, that that environment and culture is vastly different than that of the communities that we live and work in. Yeah, that's a great example. I like the way you made that comparison between the community because truly the community, and that was one thing with COVID, what was going on in the community if you weren't seeing it in the hospital, just wait a couple of days because mm-hmm. if people were out and, you know, doing a lot. You would see how closely that would impact uh, what was going on in the hospital. So, yeah. And one other thing that, that struck me during the pandemic as well was the, the fact that I think one important lesson it taught us was the importance of not ignoring what's happening in vulnerable communities. Right. Right. Uh, because when we didn't know exactly what to do to protect ourselves from the virus and then we had shortages of PPE and we didn't really know a lot of things. Right. We saw contagion move from vulnerable populations to privileged populations right there in the healthcare setting. Right. You're an orthopedic surgeon. I'm sure you've gone in and seen patients that came in for fracture reduction or oh, absolutely. You know, something else. And oh, 
by the way, they had COVID, right? A lot of folks get exposed. So that, I think, was a very important lesson to remind us that we have to be concerned about the health of everyone, not just globally, but also locally in our communities. Yeah, I agree. All right. So now let's transition to your book. Number one, congratulations. This is your first book that you've written. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. This is my first book. And for the audience, is a copy of the cover here, Improbable yeah, yeah. MD from the Bayou to the Boardroom. Published it in September of last year. So it's available in hardback, paperback, ebook, as well as audiobook, which I nice. uh, finished recording earlier this year. So it's available on Audible and some of the other platforms that are out there. So what inspired you first to um, write a book? Like you mentioned, you're a busy man, a family, you know, a professor, administrator, yeah, swim yes. coach, swim. <laughs> you know, yeah, you got a lot of hats that you wear. A lot, a lot going on. It, it is a good question. I didn't, uh, if you had asked me five years ago, if I imagined that I was going to be, would have a book published, you know, that many years later, I would say, I don't think so. I would say it was a combination of factors. One is, you know, prior to uh, having kids of my own, I was very deeply engaged in, in mentoring both here locally in Chicago with uh, our Kappa League program, as well as nationally with Fraternities Achievement Academy program, working with uh, college students who are going to graduate in professional school. So I've, I've always taken those opportunities to be engaged in outreach and support in the community, in part because of, I gained so much from the generosity of others along my journey. Uh, yes. as well. Um, and I dial back some of that as I've grown into being a parent and having parenting responsibilities, as well as expanded responsibilities uh, with work. So one, there was a thirst to engage with individuals at scale and to help share my story as a way of helping others be their best. During the pandemic, there was a tremendous need for information, tremendous need for hope as people struggled with uh, many of the illnesses, hospitalizations, and deaths that they saw in their community and, and in their families. And so that that stretched me pretty thin. It also stretched my wife, who was a physician, thin as well. And, and I thought there was a need to help inspire and, and lend that hope to uh, communities uh, across the country as well. And so I, I said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to grab some time to write a book. And so over uh, the Christmas holidays and uh, beginning in December of 2020, I leaned into that project and got that writing started. And to be honest with you, I felt an obligation to tell my story in a way that would ensure that others could identify and and relate to that and be inspired. I think often, you know, when individuals see you walk in the hallway, right, and they're like, "Man, he's a doctor. He's a right. orthopedic surgeon." You know, in that moment, it's hard to understand what your journey to uh, reaching that really, you know, storied career uh, location was. And so if we're going to ensure that people who are coming behind us have the tools and resources that they need to be successful, we've got to figure out how do we tell that story in a way that allows them to relate to it, to learn from the lessons that uh, we've experienced uh, along the way. The other thing that was really cool uh, in writing the book was it gave me a great opportunity to reflect on all the people that I reached out to along the way. (laughs) When Mm -hmm. doors were closed, when I was struggling to figure out what the next steps were going to be, when I was getting all those thin envelopes in the mail when I applied to medical school, you know, thin envelopes were not good. You know, now people get their notifications by email and on computer. You know, we had email back then, but 
uh, yeah, you know, how, how do you deal with that? How do you bounce back? And I learned some important lessons um, along my journey. And one of the major lessons that I share in the book is the importance of reaching out to building a network and reaching out to that network and nurturing those relationships over the years as well. Because I found that individuals will share with you their successes and their challenges and their failures if you ask them, you know. And one of the things my mother used to say, and I'm trying to get the saying right, because it usually always preceded me maybe getting in trouble or getting a spanking or something like that. But um, it's best to learn lessons from the mistakes of other people than having to learn those lessons the hard way on your own. So if you see somebody else get in trouble for doing something, don't do what they did. They'll turn around and do the same thing, and you have to learn the hard way. And then, you know, if you take that lesson to the next level, you then see that there are some lessons that you can't afford to learn the hard way. Because when you learn them, the implications are irreparable to your career, to, you know, they may land you in a very bad spot that you learn the lesson, but you're like forever or for a long time harmed by it. Right. So being able to kind of differentiate those things are important. Some of that's kind of parenting, but some of it also is, you know, the journey to get into where we are. Yeah. So a lot of the reasons behind why you wrote your book is the same reason why I wrote, you know, I started this podcast, because like you mentioned, your journey to success, when people see you on the platform, they think right. sometimes you've always been on that platform. So right. it's our responsibility to share our story, number one, and not only just share how well we did and the success, but also share the times where we thought that it might not come together or the times where we failed. Yeah, because I feel that those failures and those setbacks are what people can really relate to and say, okay, yeah, Dr. Robinson, he's just like me. He's from the Bayou. You know, he might have not had a lot coming up, but he's still a physician and he's still impacting others. So kudos to you for sharing your story, because that's what I encourage people. Your story is going to be told uh, one way or the other. You can tell it in your version or someone else will tell it for you. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And you know, one of the things I share in the book was that when I was finishing high school and contemplating going to college, I was afraid to even say, hey, I want to become a doctor because I didn't have wow. doctors in my family. And, uh, and you know, you remember what it was like when you went off to medical school. Probably everybody was like, hey, you know, my baby Derek or my boy Derek is going to medical school. You know, right. all <laughs> the hopes of yeah. the family, of the village, yeah, the you know, on yeah. your shoulders. And if you're yeah. not successful you know, you feel like you've made this big failure. And so, you know, I was very hesitant to declare that once, once I had been directed that Xavier was going to be the great place for me to go, I felt comfortable saying, okay, hey, you know, I want to do this. Then the next challenge I faced four years ago was, well, you can't get in, you keep banging on the door and, and everybody is is saying no. But um, each leg of our journeys are, are important. They're intentional, they have value. And so, Certainly, as uh, folks who are listening to this, they're still on their journey to their next station and they feel like they're encountering some barriers. Just know that those barriers have value and you may not be able to appreciate the value of what you're working against right now until you get to that next station or the station beyond it. And you're able to look back and, and learn a lot from those lessons. Absolutely. So on Time Out with the Sports Doctor, this is your final time out. So, you know, now you've completed the task of writing a book, you know, you've achieved a lot throughout the years, despite the struggles or despite the setbacks. So what would you say to someone who's saying, man, I have a book that I want to write, but 
it's not going to be worth it because nobody's going to really want to hear my story and their you know, self-doubt and all the different things that you had to overcome to get your book actually out into the world. Just kind of talk to somebody about those you know, limiting factors that you had to overcome to write your book. Yeah, I would say with well, the limits start with you. So your limits are, are inside of your head. And I think the sooner that you remove those limits, the, the faster you can begin to move. I would say just get started, you know, take some time, begin, you know, to write your thoughts down you Can work on sort of an outline to get you going. I found the developmental editing process to be very helpful for me after I after I wrote what I thought was the book, right. uh, you know, to have someone else go and look at it and say, well, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about this? Or what did you mean by that? Or looks like you talked about this and you talked about that, but you left out something in the middle. Can you spend some time sort of filling in those gaps? That was really helpful uh, to me. And uh, and at times I really in, enjoyed that because I was like, oh, you know, I, I didn't really think about that. But let me let me tell that story. And then the other thing was it was really cool was just going back, reflecting through old documents, photos, artifacts and things that I had kept along the way that I didn't know what I kept them for. Right. <laughs> other than sort of historical purposes. But, man, they came yeah. in really handy when you need to go yeah. back and figure out which year this happened and which year that happened and what the quote was from someone that was really influential that, you know, took time to write you a letter or a correspondence or, or spend some time with you. So it can be rewarding from that perspective. And, you know, there, there's even a part of the book where I talked about some family illnesses and tragedies that, that we faced. And I found writing about that to be therapeutic in a sense as well, because there were some things that, you know, I was working through as, from my dual role of being both family member and a physician and the, right. the dynamic tension of wondering, you know, did you do enough? Are there things mm -hmm. that you could have done better? And, and how will that impact your role as an advocate going forward? And the healthcare system that you spent so much time in miss your expectations and how do you respond to that? So I found that to be very, uh, very therapeutic from a, writing perspective yeah no that's beautiful hey well thank you for sharing this time with me uh tell the audience one more time how we'll put the, the information in the show notes but tell them how they can get your book and you know follow you along yeah happy to do that so again the title of the book is improbable md from the bayou to the boardroom by derek robinson it's available wherever you get your book set so you can get it uh, amazon paperback hardback also barnes and noble uh, ebooks are available. Also, recently recorded the audiobook, so you can get it there as well. I'm on all of the social media channels, so you can get me on Twitter at, at the handle Dr. Derek Robinson or on Instagram at DRobMD. Dr. Burgess, thank you so much for the opportunity to be uh, with absolutely. you. Uh, excellent podcast. Thank you for giving me that extra time out. Appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. Appreciate you for being here. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace. Trust, you don't want to miss. This is where life, sports, and medicine.